0: Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion.
1: Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversations and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge focusing on equine health.
0: This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care.
1: Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people.
0: Not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the EquiConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by the Key Panel Equine Services.
1: I'm Karen Fell.
0: And I'm Dr. Kyle Goldie. Nice to uh, chat with you guys again. We hope you have enjoyed the last few episodes and uh, you're getting a lot out of it. I know that we've really enjoyed it. We enjoy having another way to get in touch with our, our clients, but also just to the uh, the horse uh, world in general. It's uh, It's been really, really fun. Nice chatting with everybody again. We've got a few topics on the agenda for today.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: I think what we'll do is start with the most pertinent. Okay. I'm sure everybody is aware that um, in Ontario... That there was a uh, notice that a horse or two horses had been identified as having tested positive for equine herpes virus one, um, the neurotrophic phenotype. Do you know much about that one, Karen?
1: No. I don't actually.
0: No, fair enough. So, equine herpes virus, I, I, people are more familiar with it, you know, in terms of vaccination. Right. Uh, we always talk about rhino flu vaccines. Mm-hmm. Herpes virus is the rhino component of rhino flu. Okay. Okay. It actually stands for pneumonitis, but the correct name for that virus is the herpes virus. And there's several different types of it, but uh, the most relevant in this situation is equine herpes virus uh, 1. Unfortunately, in the last... I don't know how long it's been, several years, they've identified a, a, a subtype of that equine herpes virus 1 that uh, seems to have a particular effect on the nervous system.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. So
0: that's why it's been such a concern. I believe in the notice they said that at least one of the two horses that tested positive were showing neurologic signs. Okay, right. and that's why um, it's such a concern and and why people rightly are, are concerned about transmission of the virus. so I just thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about biosecurity because well it's always in the it's really in the news these days anti a- anti-vaxxers you know you hear yes. about the people that don't want to vaccinate their their children and the unfortunate Part of this situation is mm-hmm. the equine herpes virus vaccines haven't really shown to be protective against the neurotrophic form of EHV-1. Okay. So they're not necessarily covered for it when they are vaccinated. The, the vaccine just doesn't exist at the at the moment. So at, you know where we usually look at prevention and, and vaccination as being so fundamental to mm-hmm. our protection, we can't really rely on it in, in cases of EHV-1. What can we do?
1: What can we do? Well, for the equine herpes virus, it's transmitted; it's airborne. Is
0: That's that correct? correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just like influenza is mm-hmm. is also uh, is also airborne. Minimizing nose to nose contact is important, especially uh, amongst horses. Like if you're showing and that type right. of thing, really keeping your horses away from other horses. You know, there's no need for them to quote unquote see their friends. And so you do have to keep biosecurity as a uh, as a priority. Another thing that I, I think is really, really important is if you have any new horses coming to your barn, mm-hmm. they really should be isolated. And mm-hmm. that that's not unique to this particular situation. Right. New horses to your barn should always be isolated. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. And uh, we generally recommend for two weeks. Two I, I often talk to people about facility design. That mm-hmm. Every once in a while, people should be excited and say, oh, we're building a new facility. And I always list a few things that... I find people overlook number one, hot water. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Number two, drains. Number three, ventilation. Number four, a quarantine area, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can either have a new horse coming into your facility. That's right. That should be quarantined. Okay. And, And monitored. Or you have a horse that's already in your facility that becomes sick. Sick. Yeah. And rather than Allowing it to just propagate through and spread through the whole facility, you might as well try to keep that one isolated and, and, and treat accordingly. So, yeah, I think the most important thing is isolation of new horses, horses that have been off property, that mm-hmm. type of thing. What else can we do?
1: Well, I was thinking when you were talking about going to competitions or horse Mm -hmm, shows mm -hmm. and just kind of on that topic, thinking about trailers, like for example, Mm -hmm. for myself, we often will borrow trailers Mm -hmm. of friends Mm -hmm. to get your horse to competitions. And in kind of terms of that, I would think that something to clean the trailer. Yeah, Um,
0: absolutely. What's kind
1: of the best thing to use for that?
0: That's a good question. You'd have to take a look at what's available to mm-hmm. you. There are um I, I know uh Vercon is uh, is a good um sort of broad spectrum disinfectant and uh it's widely available and you can get it at tax stores and, and uh and feed stores and that type of thing. And they have mixing directions on it um, mm-hmm. to say how to disinfect things. Um so yeah, that's a really good point. Disinfecting things, uh disinfecting you know stalls that uh, mm-hmm. may have come in contact with those horses all, all really really important things. yeah so we talked about isolation, quarantining mm-hmm. new horses. The other thing is don't be afraid to get more information if you're suspicious about something
1: that's right yeah. right
0: so if you see a horse that is maybe just a little dull mm-hmm. off feed, that type of thing, Personally, the first thing I would do is take its temperature. Yes. Yeah. Right? I find that a very consistent finding. If a horse has a fever, it feels like crap. And it doesn't mm-hmm. want to eat and it doesn't want to drink. So take the temperature. And uh, if that horse has a fever, it should be isolated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. Isolated. And, you know, with the, as I say, with the advent of recent, uh, mm-hmm. news probably wouldn't be a bad idea to call your veterinarian, you know, for peace of mind, mm-hmm. um, have them tested for EHV one so that, uh, that, that, appropriate actions can be taken
1: definitely further
0: isolation, appropriate supportive care, etc. I think those are, those are some really important points. And then, you know, if you ever are dealing with a horse that's sick, common sense goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Really, what you want to do is is uh, the sick horses you want to always deal with last
1: that's right, Yep.
0: right let's say you're you're feeding the horses or mucking stalls, that type of thing. Those isolation horses should be dealt with very last because uh, you don't want to see them first, get your clothing contaminated and then go from stall to stall passing that infectious agent all along that's instead, right. you know see the see the the suspicious horses last. Mm-hmm go home, change your clothes, wash your, you know, disinfect appropriately. And then when you come back to the barn, same sort of, same sort of routine. Um, Definitely. yeah. See the most.
1: And I think on that point, uh, it's things that I didn't think about was for example, trying to use different supplies. So in my head, I think, Oh, different water buckets, feedback, bu-, like have exactly. its own section, but yeah. things such as a wheelbarrow A pitchfork Items yeah. like that It's good to have Just separate Then there's absolutely No cho- chance of it yeah. Transferring over Yeah you
0: read my mind Exactly yeah um, Very very important uh, Foot baths Disinfecting foot baths Can be really good um, If there is going to be Traffic back and forth mm-hmm. Through the barn Just, just to prevent uh, Foot traffic from spreading in, in Infections and stuff So it, it gives you a lot To um, think about To, to keep Definitely. in mind I guess the take home Points right now Would be If you see a horse That seems under well take its temperature if you've got time take all the horses' temperatures mm-hmm. daily if not twice a day and uh, you know just for peace of mind if you have any concerns call your veterinarian isolate horses that are suspicious yeah we're not trying to make anybody panic or anything like that but it's just sometimes it takes these these incidences to remind us that we probably get a little bit complacent sometimes about our biosecurity and that we should focus a little bit more on it.
1: Right. And these are simple things that simple things,
0: uh, cheap going back to that point if you are designing a facility or maybe mm-hmm. re- remodeling a facility that type of thing do keep that in mind that it would be ideal to have an area that is a little bit more isolated mm-hmm. if not completely for those suspicious cases because you know you could get diarrhea cases yeah. where you really don't want them contaminating no. the rest of the barn and then then it raises questions well how do you design that that area yeah uh, think about how easy it's going to be to wash it out that type of thing you know there's there's a lot of different factors but it's a heck of a lot easier and and cheaper to to plan ahead in those situations than try to do a remodel Mm -hmm. it's really hard to put a drain in after you (laughs) have you know what i mean so just some points to keep in mind anything anything else karen
1: not that i can think of
0: okay that's our biosecurity reminder Mm -hmm. in a nutshell and um yeah as i say don't you don't need to be panicky or anything like mm-hmm. that, but just just be be careful and just just think about what you're doing ahead of time. All right, perfect. So the next thing we wanted to talk about, we're always we're always kind of uh, brainstorming about yeah. content about <laughs> what we want to talk about next. And one one thing we we thought would be good was a discussion on equine nutrition. Mm-hmm. I have no intention of trying to do a. Uh, whole episode on yeah. <laughs> nu- nutrition because it it is too broad a topic. You, you know what I mean? Like even our repro episode mm-hmm. last week, it, it's a bit of a taste of, of some considerations, that type of thing. But nutrition is a is a huge, huge topic.
1: Well, I was just thinking similar to reproduction. It's so specific. Too. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, nutrition in a general sense, but there's a lot of specifics to in individual care, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got cushionoid horses mm-hmm. uh horses with metabolic syndrome horses with pssm mm-hmm. horses with uh hypp
1: even just the difference of a performance high level competition horse versus yeah. a retired horse or something of yeah lesser intensity
0: yeah exactly exactly so Anyway, we decided what we'd like to do is a sort of a multi-part mm-hmm. series. And uh, what we do today is just sort of a, a general introduction mm-hmm. to some of the fundamentals of nutrition and, and kind of go from there. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to uh, talk about some, some interesting cases we've mm-hmm. seen lately. Karen, how much uh, training does the average horse person have in nutrition?
1: I would say from personal experience... Minimal, like there's the horses that I've grown up taking care of at my parents' farm, but beyond that, and and that's just... You know how we've done it.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I've noticed a lot of clients are are starting to take more of an interest in nutrition. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, Equine Guelph um, has their their courses, and uh, and nutrition is a component of that. I, I've actually been involved in mm-hmm. teaching that course in the past, and it's been really useful just to just to kind of open people's minds up. You know, like equine nutrition is pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. It's a heck of a lot more complicated than you know your average. Pet nutrition, for example, mm-hmm. because we don't have to worry about a forage component, right?
1: Right. In, yeah. In
0: horses, we've got a forage component making up anywhere from 50% of the diet mm-hmm. to close to 100% of the diet. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so it, it does add a level of, of complication to things for sure. You know, it's not as simple as just opening a bag. And mm-hmm. I remember there was a fun joke my uh, my friend Mark told me back in uh, university. Mm-hmm. He said, "What's the difference between God and a veterinarian?"
1: I mean, what's the difference?
0: God doesn't pretend to know anything about nutrition. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, <a good> one. <laughs> In fairness, a lot of veterinarians don't have a great deal of training in nutrition. I personally have been involved in uh, specific nutrition training, but uh, but some vets don't don't feel mm-hmm. really comfortable about it and are glad to recommend you uh, talk to your nutritionist. Yes. And so that was one of the, one of the things I really wanted to talk about is knowing what resources are available mm-hmm. to you as, you know, as a client, um, as a horse owner, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, uh, of resources, your local feed store, yes. um, often has very, very well-trained nutrition consultants mm-hmm. on staff. And then there are some independent, depending on where you live, there are some mm-hmm. independent nutritionists available that can often be useful too, because mm-hmm. they're not maybe as um, biased towards a given Mm -hmm. brand. You know what I mean? Uh, Some nutritionists are going to be you know, basically working for a specific brand and figuring yes. out how that brand is going to be appropriate for for your horse. Whereas maybe a more independent consultant or one that works for a, a store as mm-hmm. opposed to a brand might have a more objective view. But nevertheless, they're well trained people Absolutely. Um, that I, I think uh, we should be using more often. And oftentimes it's free.
1: Oh, yeah, I was just right. thinking on a personal experience, I some local feed stores mm-hmm. around here started doing some talks so we'd go to them and mm-hmm. then I was trying to figure out kind of the best feed for the pony I was riding at the time. Yeah. yeah, and I went to the feed store, they asked if I need help and I just kind of was talking about the scenario and oh, let me just grab the nutrition and right there talk to me free of charge. Yeah. and I yeah. felt like Absolutely. I had that much more education and understanding and I was just, aimlessly going in there for sure
0: for sure another thing that that's really great about the nutritionist first of all um they have nutrition training and in, mm-hmm. in terms of just nutrition in particular to quids mm-hmm. uh but the other thing that's kind of cool is a lot of time they have some really cool um resources available to them depending on the company you you're working with there's different computer programs and stuff oh, like that cool. right so that they can actually use research and the, and the math that's been figured out through that research, mm-hmm. put it into a computer program that mm-hmm. will help you formulate the ideal ration for a given horse, Very which is cool. pretty cool. I, I used to do a little bit of it when, um, uh, back in, in university mm-hmm. and, and some of the, some of the courses I took were cool. What do you think the first thing you punch into the computer is Karen? When you're, when you're doing that,
1: I want to say the horse's weight. <laughs>
0: absolutely all the all those all those horse factors are are really important so yeah you're you're absolutely right Um, in terms
1: of feed in terms of
0: feed yeah yeah i i I set you up poorly there
1: i'm gonna guess something to do with the the hay
0: incredible what a great (laughs) answer yeah absolutely Honestly, folks, you would think that Karen and I uh, rehearse these things, or maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like we, we really do think alike, which is useful. But, um, the, the hay is a really good uh, place to start, mm-hmm. right? One thing about hay that a lot of people don't realize is your local feed store mm-hmm. is totally capable of doing a hay analysis mm-hmm. for you. Definitely. Right? Oftentimes, the, the fee is there was a long time when you didn't have to pay for it at all. Mm-hmm. I, I um, depends on the feed store and mm-hmm. everything like that, but it's a fairly nominal fee from what I recall.
1: Well, and really, when you think of it, as you said, it, it can comprise such a large, or it does comprise such a large portion of a horse's diet. by when you get it tested, yeah, and then yeah, you really exactly, know.
0: yeah, exactly, and then and then you can balance things from that point. So, yeah, absolutely. Generally, when you're testing hay, you kind of want to know what hay you're working with for the Mm -hmm. season. This generally involves you either having a mow that has Mm -hmm. your hay for the year in it, Mm -hmm. or you have a good enough relationship with your hay dealer that they're storing, quote unquote, your hay so Mm -hmm. that you know what you're testing, right? Yes. And then usually what you do is of the hay that you're planning on feeding for that season, you usually do a random sampling of about 10 bales Mm -hmm. because no two bales are going to be alike. Yeah. So you usually do a random sampling. Um, There's a special tool called a coring tool, which Mm -hmm. bores into the hay bale, Mm -hmm. takes the sample out. You put the whole sample together mix it. And then it goes, it gets sent to a lab for analysis. One thing that's super, super important about the analysis is that the analysis is very species dependent. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you are sending hay out for um, a hay analysis, make sure that they know it's for horses. Okay. Because the analysis that you get back uh, for horses Mm -hmm. is a lot different than one for dairy cattle. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're looking at totally different properties of the, of the hay. And when it comes time to start punching numbers into a computer, they don't really correlate that well. So dairy numbers Mm -hmm. versus your, your equine numbers. So just do your best to try to get a hay analysis that focuses on uh, equine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Super important. So just as the, as the hay analysis Mm -hmm. forms the basis of a horse's diet. It mm-hmm. also forms the basis of our computations that we'd make in the computer, okay, Definitely. or that uh, your nutritionist would take from it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can make some assumptions based on you know the visual appearance, whether it's first cut, second cut hay, but. Oftentimes, you really do need to see those numbers before you really need to, to know what's going on. Some of the numbers that I find very difficult to predict are the, the sugar content, yes, you know, the non starch carbohydrates and stuff. Where and we'll talk about that in a, in a future episode, yes. but and how that relates to horses with metabolic issues, right? Knowing those numbers are really really important. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so we've got our hay an- analyzed, and, and that's um, that's great now. This is another question I always find interesting. What horses need concentrate feed, Karen? What, what horses need grain?
1: Need grain? I would say in my eyes, a highly competitive horse, as well as I'm thinking possibly like broodmares.
0: Sure. Um, but but what, you're, what you're really talking about are, are horses that basically can't meet their needs mm-hmm. with hay and pasture alone. Right. Okay. So that's, that's really what I'm, what I'm mm-hmm. trying to get at is, you know, there's a lot of horses that can do very well on just hay, mm-hmm. right? Particularly easy keepers, mm-hmm. that type of thing. But the one thing I really wanted to make clear to people is hay in and of itself doesn't contain everything that they need. Correct. Even right. pasture in Ontario doesn't contain everything that they need. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is where we get into the need for some supplementation. Okay. Okay. So I usually look at the hay as being the bulk of the calories for the diet. And and so let's say we have a horse that maintains a great weight on just hay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One thing you can guarantee about that horse is on hay alone, it's not getting enough selenium, for example.
1: That's right. I right? was thinking about yeah, this. Yeah,
0: exactly. So we all know that the, the Great Lakes, or if you're not aware, the Great Lakes region tends to have soil that's deficient in selenium. Okay. Selenium is... Very, very important in mm-hmm. muscle function, just in in all kinds of processes in the in the body, mm-hmm. regardless of how great the horse looks, mm-hmm. we know that that horse is likely deficient in selenium, mm-hmm. so that 's where I, I think it 's really important to find an appropriate supplement mm-hmm. to that hay based diet there's nothing wrong with uh, a hay based diet mm-hmm. let 's just make sure they 're getting what else they need, okay. That's right. So I don't want to mention specific mm-hmm. products that that doesn't do anybody a, a, a service. Everybody has free to feed whatever brands they want, but I do recommend that you talk to your your local feed store. And for those horses that are eating just just hay, mm-hmm. let's make sure they're getting the right vitamin and mineral supplement. Often those vitamin and mineral supplements uh, will have protein added to them as mm-hmm. well because protein can be a little deficient yes. sometimes. And so let's start with a hay analysis, mm-hmm. go from there, and then. Add in a vitamin mineral supplement to those easy keepers to make sure that they're getting everything that they need.
1: Yeah, sounds right? like a good plan.
0: Okay, what if I just fed a mineral block, the the red salt block? Does that does that give them everything that they need, Karen?
1: I wouldn't think so. I would think that there's still things that are missing from the block. exactly,
0: exactly. The red salt blocks were made for cattle, huh. right? Uh, and my dad, who's been in the feed business for a long, long time, always jokes the biggest difference between a red block and a blue block is the color. Okay. (laughs) Um, you know, it's partly joking, but, but anyway, don't think that your horse is getting everything that it needs from a Mm -hmm. a red salt block. It's mainly getting salt from the salt block. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, you do need separate. There are blocks available to be fed up pasture that Mm -hmm. do provide the uh, correct vitamins and minerals. It's not your standard. Red salt block. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's just a just a, a point that often yeah. p- people say to me, and I, it, they think they're giving them everything that they need, but it's it's not. They're true. not. Yeah. No. So then the other another point that comes up often in appointments, I find is okay. So let's say you've got a horse that can't maintain body weight, performance, okay. whatever, on hay alone. So you mm-hmm. want to feed some feed, mm-hmm. right? The one point that I find often happens is people overlook. How much contribution a given feed is making to, or uh, overestimate the contribution that a given feed is actually making to the horse's diet. Okay. Okay. And this is where it really uh, is important to take a look at a feed tag. Yes. Okay. Let's say you've decided, okay, this particular horse needs some feed. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it only needs like a couple pounds a day. Okay. Right. Let's call it one kilo a day. Mm-hmm. Okay. It seems to do fine on, on that one kilo a day, plus all the hay you can eat. Everything's great.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The problem is that you could still end up with a horse that is deficient in vitamins and minerals,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because that given feed mm-hmm. was meant to be fed at a certain level.
1: Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So that, that given feed will provide the horse the right vitamins and minerals If it's fed at the recommended level. Right. Right. Okay. So let's say we have a feed that is um, meant to be fed at three kilograms a day, which isn't, you know, that's not uncommon. That that would be a fairly reasonable amount of of feed. Mm -hmm. So three kilograms a day and all the hay it can eat kind of thing. And you look, you think three kilograms a day, that's like six pounds. Oh my goodness. That's a lot of feed. I can't feed this horse that much feed. It's going to be. Maybe it's going to be too excitable right. or it's going to get too fat or mm-hmm. whatever. So, okay. So then you have to figure out how much feed can I feed of this feed and not have the horse be unmanageable right. slash uh, overweight, blah, 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 mm-hmm. So let's say that you, yeah, it's meant to be fed at three kilograms a day. You're, you feel it's appropriate to feed at one kilogram a day. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something has to make up the vitamin and mineral proportion that's missing from that two kilograms of feed that you're not you're not feeding okay Mm -hmm. so that's another area I find people need to talk to their nutritionist Mm -hmm. about in terms of uh, coming up with a supplement Mm -hmm. a top dress something like that to to make up for that gap okay Mm -hmm. because the goal basically is how can I make up for that gap Without adding a lot more calories to the diet. okay, And all of the different brands of feed have those things available, Mm -hmm. Um, have those types of products available. The other consideration to make is you've got this feed that is recommending three kilograms a day. You say, I can't feed three kilograms a day. The horse will be uh, way too fat. I can only feed a kilogram a day. The other consideration is... Maybe that's not the right feed for your horse.
1: Right. That's what I'm thinking in this Mm -hmm. example. Like if you're only feeding a third of the recommended percentage of it, I feel like maybe it's just not not the right one.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, absolutely so so maybe you go to a feed that has a lower energy density Mm -hmm. right so you can still feed basically the however many kilos you're you're willing to feed Mm -hmm. you know cost becomes a factor depending on how much you're going to feed but yeah maybe there's a more appropriate feed so again talk to your feed dealer um, uh, about that those are some important points so anyway those are uh i I find i have those discussions Mm -hmm. um that those exact topics on the farm quite often so and a lot of times people just don't realize, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of information on that feed tag. Definitely. Right. You'll see, there's usually a grid, Mm -hmm. you know, so it'll say kind of the weight of the horse. Usually it'll be like 300, 400, 500 kilograms. And then there'll be light exercise, maintenance, gestating mare, Mm -hmm. lactating mare, blah, blah, blah. So you can kind of Find where your horse meets up in that category. Mm-hmm. And if you're not feeding the amount that's recommended on that tag mm-hmm. and you're feeding free choice hay, there's probably a gap in terms of vitamins and minerals. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so so I guess that's the takeaway for today is horses that are not being fed what's recommended at mm-hmm. uh, the recommended level and horses that are only fed pasture or hay. Yes, we should try to find an appropriate supplement for them because otherwise, long term, they, they could end up with some deficiency. Absolutely. Okay, vitamin E would be another uh, another opportunity for them to become deficient. Yes. Right. So uh, there's a lot of things out there, and and certainly it becomes more important depending on the type of horse. You know, ten year old horse versus a six month old. Yes. Uh, weanling, you know yep. what I mean? Like the importance is going to shift between those, but it's still important long term that your horse is fed appropriately. It doesn't necessarily have to add a whole lot of cost to the diet or anything right. like that. Most of these vitamin mineral top dresses are quite concentrated. Mm-hmm. So you know your big bag will last quite a while. Yes. Okay. Your, your feed dealer and the tag on that bag as well yes. will be able to give you some guidance as to how much to feed. That's a good primer and uh, some considerations for nutrition. And then
1: uh, I agree. we'll come up
0: with our, our next topic You know, in a, in a future episode. There's lots to talk about. Sounds good. So I guess... We'll close out with our sort of case discussions. Yep. I think you and I both noticed lately. Yes. We've seen a lot of foot abscesses. Uh, it seems to just be that time of year.
1: Yep. That we've had not a great end to our our winter here, and I think it's really no. kind of kept it, things busy in that department.
0: Exactly. And we, as veterinarians, get called out to um, to quite a few. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the. Sort of fluctuating footing uh, this time of year really does seem to contribute to foot abscesses a lot of the time over the winter. I don't think people get their horses' feet trimmed as frequently.
1: I was just thinking of that often. Right? It's, oh, it's winter time. Let's let's yeah. spread out the weeks, the yeah, time in exactly. between. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not really using the horse for anything. Can you think yeah. of how that might contribute to foot abscesses?
1: Well, I'm thinking even. <laughs> alongside with the trimming cycles extended, as well as perhaps you're not riding as much, like just in general, the foot quality, like you're not looking at the feet, cleaning the feet, that mm-hmm. sort of thing as yeah. often.
0: Yeah, yeah. The other thing I find is as the toe is allowed to get longer and longer, you can end up with sort of a stretching of the white line, mm-hmm. right? And the, the white line is where the majority of abscesses show up. And so you end up with this increased width of, Mm -hmm. white line width right between the sole of the foot and the hoof wall Mm -hmm. and it becomes this like permeable spongy kind of tissue where just all kinds of junk can can get in there and then fester and turn into an abscess right yep so i think when we have these long drawn out um springs yeah, You just end up with all kinds of uh, poor footing, horses standing around in the wet and, and just things being able to work work their way up into the white line. I think bruising and that type of thing mm-hmm. can also contribute to abscesses, but nevertheless, we do seem to see a lot of them this time of year.
1: I agree, for sure.
0: I guess the big the big takeaway from what we've found recently is they're so common, mm-hmm. right? They're so common uh, that... We kind of just treat them nonchalantly or not nonchalantly, but we just, they're so routine we know how to treat them. We know that in a week or so they're going to be better. You know, it's not that big a deal. And most of the time, if somebody calls and says, my horse was totally normal this morning and now all of a sudden it's can't bear any weight on its like 99.9% of the time, it's a foot abscess.
1: Right. Right. Mm -hmm
0: a lot of the time people think it's the shoulder.
1: Right, Right, yeah. We get Mm -hmm.
0: a lot of calls about broken shoulders, but very few of them actually turn out to be broken shoulders. Most of the time it's a foot issue. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And we often get into the debate largely based on cost, that type of thing. And because foot abscesses are so common, do we need to take an x-ray?
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: And I think people are right to say, It's the old, it looks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck kind of thing. And so what are some of our common findings with a foot abscess?
1: Like how they present? Yeah,
0: yeah. Like uh, what do we find on our clinical exam and that type of thing?
1: Yeah, so often we would find heat in the foot, an elevated pulse, yeah. digital pulse, yeah. um, as well as when we would go out uh, using the hoof testers and find sensitivity on the bottom of the foot somewhere. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely, absolutely. Those are sort of the hallmarks mm-hmm. of, uh, of, a, of a foot abscess, and so people will, you know, it just seems so, so obvious. Yes. People will say, um, well, do we need to take an x-ray? Probably not, right? Right. Because everybody wants to know if we can see an abscess on an x-ray. Right. 99.9% of the time we can't.
1: That's right.
0: Right, right. We can see it in certain instances. Generally, Mm -hmm. if there's gas involved with it, right? So you can get like really bad case of white line disease. Mm -hmm. You'll see gas working its way up the the white line. Mm -hmm. We can see it. But most of the time, we can't see anything. Mm -hmm. But the takeaway today is that there are lots of times when a horse presents with what looks like a foot abscess and it ends up being something else. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And we do have to keep that in the back of our mind. Can you think of anything, Karen, that uh, can look like a foot abscess that isn't a foot abscess?
1: Uh, yes. Broken coffin bones, for example.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, we've seen a couple cases of that mm-hmm. recently where the horse would have presented exactly the same as a foot abscess. And not wrong to treat it as a foot abscess. And chances are it doesn't do any Mm -hmm. harm to treat it like a foot abscess because the treatment is going to be basically the same. The same, right. But yeah, when you actually take an x-ray, you realize, oh, I see why this abscess isn't getting better. The horse has a broken coffin bone,
1: right? Yes. And I've kind of taken away from more recent instances Mm -hmm. where clients are asking if we can take an x-ray to see the abscess. And what ends up actually happening is it seems like we're taking an x-ray to rule out other things. Yes. So then we can say okay, it's not these things we'll continue on an abscess versus taking an x-ray and finding something more significant.
0: Exactly. That's a that's a that's the big takeaway from it is no radiographs are not very good at seeing abscesses. Right. But they are very good mm-hmm. At helping to rule out other things,
1: definitely, absolutely.
0: So the other another case that we are familiar with recently was a horse that wasn't recovering well from an abscess, mm-hmm. ended up having a foreign body,
1: right, mm-hmm.
0: right, and there was no sign of the foreign body. Uh, this in this situation, it was a piece of metal. Mm-hmm. There was no trauma to the foot. There was no bleeding. There was no nothing protruding from the foot right. that would suggest it, but. On x-ray, it was plain as day. Mm -hmm. Perfect way to summarize it there, uh, Karen. It's no, we can't see abscesses very often, but it can sure be helpful to rule other things out. Mm -hmm. The other point I wanted to make about foot Mm -hmm. lameness is we are getting into laminitis season,
1: Mm -hmm. right? Yes.
0: There are some common signs that would distinguish between more laminitis versus foot abscess. Can you think of what those would be?
1: Not right now, actually. No. no. <laughs>
0: Most of the time, if it's if it's laminitis, it's going to be multiple feet.
1: Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So if I see a horse that's lame, maybe it's non weight bearing lame on on one foot. You put the hoof testers on, and yep, it's it's sore and it's got a digital pulse and heat. It's probably a good idea just to double check the other foot too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because we do often see cases of laminitis where there is one foot that's more severely affected than mm-hmm. the other. So you could have, you know, an early case of laminitis that it may be presenting as foot abscess, right. but it is actually early signs of laminitis. So it's good to, good to keep that in mind as well. So to summarize, when we see abscesses, we often think abscesses, but other possibilities are cough and bone fracture, foreign body. Mm-hmm laminitis, white line disease. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And the other one that can be very difficult to diagnose would be soft tissue injuries to Mm -hmm. the foot, right? So we've seen a few cases of that where, uh, you know, they were initially treated as a foot abscess, didn't get better, didn't get better, ended up sending them for an MRI. Mm -hmm. And we find out, oh, it's got a tear and it's deep digital flexor tendon. So there are a lot of times when what looks like a foot abscess ends up not being a foot abscess. Uh, We just have to make sure that we find those instances sooner rather than later.
1: Yes. And I was just thinking as well, Could we just mention a little bit about blocking in terms of abscesses? Because often they don't block out when (laughs) Mm -hmm. we would numb them, which I think for myself can add a little bit more of a complicated matter to it. But I know often clients say, well, let's You know block to make sure but it kind of it's it's not always it doesn't always (sighs) block out is my understanding
0: it drives you crazy Mm -hmm. yeah it drives you crazy um sometimes because our nerve blocks that we often use for diagnosis Mm -hmm. and lesion localization they're so reliable but in yeah some of those abscess cases They disappoint you a little bit. And I think it's Mm -hmm. just because there's so much pain. There's such a, probably a strong mental component to it as Mm -hmm. well, where they just know their foot hurts so much. But that said, I will, the, the cases that I, I've really seen, um, a blocking useful Mm
1: -hmm.
0: are hind legs. Oh, okay. Okay. So I remember I saw a stallion once, a breeding stallion, Mm -hmm. standard bred, who, You know, thought he was going to die.
1: Yes. Because
0: Mm -hmm. something was wrong in behind, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, he couldn't walk properly, was just beside himself. Mm -hmm. Stallions aren't... the toughest animals in the world (laughs) they can they can be quite sensitive right but uh despite their reputation they can be fairly sensitive and yeah this this poor horse thought he was going to die Uh, you know through palpation I couldn't really feel anything I I was a little bit lost to Mm -hmm. be honest with you and uh anyway I ended up performing some blocking on him so there's a couple blocks that will block out the foot we do the comma digital block that Mm -hmm. blocks out basically the back the back two-thirds of the of the sole and the heel area. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes that's not enough because the abscess is in the toe. So we have to move up one um, block, another area. So we do a baxial sesamoid block and all of a sudden it's, Mm -hmm. the lameness is abolished. Now that doesn't necessarily isolate it completely to the foot, but at least we know we're not looking in the stifle area or something like that. So anyway, I have found that to be useful and Mm -hmm. I've seen a couple cases of hind and foot abscesses that have very, weird, dramatic presentations. And yeah, I've done some blocking and, and isolated to to the foot and have breathed a sigh of relief that it's yeah. not a broken pelvis or oh, something yeah. bizarre like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it has its, it has its usefulness, but sometimes we have to take the results of blocking with a grain of salt. It, it you may not get that hundred percent block that you're, you're, you're you really used wanting. To. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think we'll get people thinking about uh, about these things, I guess. W- what do you think is an appropriate time to wait out a, a foot abscess?
1: I think personally, I would treat it for like five to seven days, like a, yeah. about a week or so. And mm-hmm. if I'm not, if yeah, it's not yeah, improving. Yeah, if you have those
0: presenting signs. And if it's not improving,
1: yeah do something then, else.
0: I, I think that's fair. That's, yes. That's fair. And certainly, even on day one, for peace of mind, if oh, you want to yeah. just take some x-rays, we can do that too. Definitely. So, but yeah, absolutely. Especially when economics come into come Definitely. into play and do have that you know just the prevalence of foot abscesses yeah. so it, you know it's very easy to say it's probably a foot abscess but every once in a while it's not so that's just yes. what we need to keep in mind so I think we've learned a lot today. We've I definitely had a have. good had a good chat. I hope you guys have enjoyed the episode. We haven't gotten a lot of specific feedback mm-hmm. um, on on episodes. You know, we, we hear oh, we love the podcast, and, and that's great. We love that. <laughs> but if there's anything in particular, things you don't like, that type of thing, please uh, don't don't hesitate to contact us. Also, um, content things. Yes, um, we'd, uh, we'd love your feedback in terms of
1: different ideas, yeah, things you want to hear about.
0: Exactly, episodes that you'd like to to hear us discuss. So. Take any and all feedback. Hopefully constructive. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm Kyle Goldie.
1: And I'm Karen Fowl.
0: Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.